Christine Kane is a 52-year-old female fire-breathing evangelist. If you're going to be an evangelist, is there any other kind of evangelist to be than fire-breathing? She's a fire-breathing evangelist traveling the world, helping students, college-age kids, young adults deal with shame. And she could really talk about this because she's lived a life of shame. Uh, She's Greek, and though she's Greek, she was raised in Australia, in a very poor section of Australia. And she said her shame base really began, she realized she began to be buried in shame when she was in kindergarten. So here she is, a little Greek girl, going to an Australian school, and her mother packs her lunch with pimento cheese sandwiches. And all the Australian kids were making fun of her. By the way, does anybody in the room like pimento cheese? That is food from hell. You really like that? How many of you in the room do not like pimento cheese? You are the chosen ones right here. You've been predestined or for glory right there. And, and she would throw her pimento cheese sandwich away on the way to school every day so they wouldn't make fun of her. She said, you watch that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? You, you've seen those movies? She said, that was my family. We cook. Everybody cooks. She said, I can't cook. And they all played with dolls and did girl things and female things. And she said, I liked books. And I liked to play soccer. And then she talks about how an uncle sexually abused her uh, all the way up into high school. And because of her shame, she made a lot of poor choices in high school, in uh, the college years, young adults. And I, I want to talk about that today because we're buried in shame. We're a culture that has just somehow embraced shame. Now, psychologists, Christians and non-Christians, all agree that every one of us have a, has a shame base. You can be a believer, not a believer. Everybody has a shame base. And shame starts off from two different sides of the bridge. One is things that you have done, and the other is things that have been done unto you. So some of you have shame, and you had nothing to do with it. You grew up in this home, this happened, your dad did this, your mom did this, your grandpa did this, your school did this. You you had no control over that part of the coin. Flip the coin over, you you got a lot to deal deal with shame, because you created it. And so there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, there's something wrong with me. And what Christina began to hear then are the voices from her mother and her grandmother. Why can't you be like the other girls? Why why can't you be normal? What's wrong with you? And once shame begins to kind of like collapse on top of you, it begins to bury you. And all of us in this room, psychologists teach, Christians and non-Christian psychologists all agree. I thought that was interesting. Even this community all agrees to this, that we all have a shame base. Now, the Christians and non-Christian psychologists, there's a fork in the road because the non-Christian psychologists teach, that's just the way it is. You'll just have this shame base for the rest of your life. And it's why you do some of the things that you do that are kind of crazy and kind of obnoxious. 
It's why you can't get a handle on life. And so the non-Christian psychologists say, you know, go ahead and do all those things that are, you know, not really healthy and not really smart, not really wise, and, and really kind of, kind of tanks you and really kind of foolish and kind of stupid. But it's your way of coping with your shame. The Christian psychologists, however, and I land in this camp, would say, no, 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 no. You've been bought with a price. There's the power of the gospel, and the power of the gospel can break every chain. Now, it's painful, and you have to work through it, and you have to ask exactly what Jesus said to the, to the man who'd been lying at the pool for 38 years, do you want to get well? Because not everybody wants to get well. But if you want to get well in Christ, you can walk in freedom. And we are buried in shame. We have a culture that embraces shame. We have a culture that doesn't know what to do with shame. And there's really only one place, one way, one, one person who can help you with all of your shame. So do you want to get well? At the end of the message today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to have communion. And I have an agenda. At the end of the message, the agenda is this. You're going to come face to face with your shame and deal with it. And at the cross and by the blood and the word of our testimony, Christ is going to help you during the Lord's Supper to get rid of that shame once and for all. The question is, do you want to get well? And if you do, we're going to go to the Lord's Supper with boldness and with power and persuasion. So, do you want to get well? Buckle up, put a seatbelt on, put a helmet on. Here we go. Genesis chapter 2. If you've got your smartphone and you've downloaded your Harborside app, all these scriptures and fill-ins blanks are on your Harborside app. We're going to start with Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. You and I know what it's like to feel shame. Everybody over about nine years of old age knows what it's like to feel shame. Christine Kane said it started for her in kindergarten. She felt shame. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say they felt no poverty. They felt no insecurity. They felt no anxiety. Right off the bat, God is letting us know what will derail your life further, farther, faster than anything else is your shame base. And, and right off the bat, the story is this. They had no shame. It is never God's will for you to live or to have or to embrace in shame. And shame will bury you. And you will not ever become the man or the woman, the mom or the dad, the grandparent. You will never become what God's designed for you to be with an overwhelming sense of shame. So here we are right off the bat. And think about this strategically. If you're the enemy and you want to take somebody out, what, what do you do? You fill them with shame. You fill them with shame. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And that's exactly what he's tried to do to us in our lives. So here's the rest of the story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say, circle that question, we're going to come back to that. Say that with me. Did God really say, a little more passion, did God really say, we'll, we'll come back to that. He said to the woman, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. 
But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Say that with me. Where are you? One more time. Where are you? That's another question we're going to examine in just a minute. Well, um, I heard you, and I was afraid, and I was naked, so I hid. And he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. (laughs) Thoughts are coming to my mind, but wisdom is starting to take over. I'll I'll just keep moving right along. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. You were never created to know shame. You you were never designed for shame. You were never designed to embrace shame. You were never designed to have shame in your mind, your will, your emotion. You were never created for that. And so here's the very first question, and ironically, the question comes from the enemy. Satan asks this very first question. Did God really say? That's the big one right there. Did God really say? Say it with me out loud. Did God really say? And that's what you got to figure out. You have to decide what did God say? What does God say? And you have to figure out how much of God's word do I dilute? How much of God's word do I leave behind? How much of God's word can I try to cut and paste? Everybody in the room has to figure out what do we do with the word of God. Now, I don't understand every verse. I don't understand every theological concept in all 66 books. But I have rationalized and I've concluded that if God said it, it's true whether I get it or not. I'm going to embrace it. Danita will ask me sometimes when we're reading scripture at night, what does that mean? I'll say, honey, I have absolutely no idea. No idea. I'm clueless what that means. Did God really say? And so did God really say that we're to honor our mother and our father? Did God really say we're to forgive one another? Did God really say that we're to learn to be generous? Did did God really say, I don't want you to have sexual immorality? Did did God really say, I want you to learn to pray for one another? Did did God really say? That's that's like the very first question. And so what Satan is getting Eve to do is he's trying to get her to doubt the authority of God's word. And the irony is she's quoting scripture back to Satan. But she didn't believe it. And unless you really believe God's word, 
it, it really won't help you a whole lot. It really won't do a whole lot of good in your life. Did God really say, I can't help you with this. You're on your own on this one. Everyone in this room has to decide whether or not God's word is true and God, God's word is real. I don't think you're going to understand all 66 books and every verse in between. I don't think you ever will. By faith, we have to decide whether or not the word of God is really true and whether it's, it's right. Now, here, here's why he's given us his scriptures and his word. It's for your good and for his glory. God has never in his word asked me to do something that's not going to be good for me. He always gives us direction and, and clarity on that which will help you in your life. And ultimately, it brings him amazing glory. God will never ask you to do something that's not good for you. He will never ask you to be something that's not in your best interest. And ultimately, he receives all the glory from it. It is for your good and it is for his glory. Now, the other part of this that's hard to understand is shame comes to separate you from what you already have. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, Adam and Eve were already told they were made in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. They already had this. And what shame does, shame causes you to lose what you already have. And it separates you from what you already have. And, and in Christ, you have forgiveness. In Christ, you have freedom. And shame just comes to bury you. To bury you. And that's what the enemy wants to do. Did God really say? That's a deal breaker. That's a game changer. And everybody in the room has to make that decision for themselves. And then Satan comes along and he says, well, that ain't going to hurt you. I mean, what God said, he, God's, God doesn't have your best interests in mind. If you take of this tree, you're going to be like God. You're going to know good from evil. God's holding out on you. God's not a good God. God's a cosmic killjoy. That's what he's trying to communicate to them. That's the first question. Here's the second question. God kind of gets wind of all this, and he comes to Adam and Eve, and he says, where are you? Now, I don't think God lost Adam and Eve in a small garden. <laughs> Do you? I mean, what kind of a bumbling God would we have? He can only keep up with two people. So I don't think he's asking literally, like, where are you? It's more like after supper, dinner time, I'm at the kitchen table, I'm at our island in our kitchen, and we've had dinner, it's just the two of us, Danny and I, and I'm, I'm thinking about something else, I'm trying to solve problems, there's been two or three crises of the day, there's been disasters, and Danita will say to me, hey, 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 where are you? She knows where I am, I'm at the kitchen table. She's not asking where I'm at geographically. Where are you? What, what are you thinking? Where are you going? Where's your head right now? Where are you? God is not asking a question about where are you, Adam and Eve. He's asking, what are you thinking? Why did you do this? Why did you step into this lane? How could you have stepped outside of my will? Adam and Eve, do you know what you've just done? Do you realize what you had? Do you realize the separation? And now you are in real trouble. 
Where are you? I think God is asking you and I that question as well. I think Elisa said that school starts in like four weeks. We could have done all day without her saying that, couldn't we? <laughs> we could have. So, so when, when high school students go back to school, he's asking, where are you? When college kids go back, UF, FSU, University of Miami, North Florida, wherever, he's asking, hey, are you going to be my man? Are you going to be my woman? Are you, where are you on the college campus? God is asking, where are you? We seem to let the world try to squeeze us into a mold like we're the crazy ones. Well, you're not inclusive enough. You're not, you're not tolerant enough. Have you watched what's going on in the world today? It's crazy. And, and, and so much of this behavior, so much anger, so many protests, it, it, it comes from an inability to understand I need to get some help. I need to get some freedom. I need to get some forgiveness. I got to break some chains. I got to. I got to go forward. And so he asks Adam and Eve, "Where are you?" I think he's asking you and me the same question: Where are you in your neighborhood? Where are you in your family? Where are you in the culture that God has put you in? Where are you in your marriage? Where are you as a mom? Where are you as a dad? Where, where are you as a, as a, as a grandparent? Where, where are you? Are you standing up? Are you leaning in? Are you a leader? It's for your good and it's for my glory. God is asking us today, where are you? I want you to be my woman. I want you to be my man. I want you to be my servant. Where are you? So about a month ago, sun was just coming up. And we're starting to get in that rainy season, and on the back of our house where the, the roof goes down, and there's the gutter, and there's the lanai screen, the water wasn't draining as well as quickly as it should have been, which means there's probably some limbs up there. So I go up on the roof, just the crack of, of light, ladder, uh, rake, and I get up there and take those limbs off that were in the gutter, and then I realize the gutter's about half full of leaves, and you know what that's like when the leaves have been in the gutter and it's that tar looking, you know, it's gunky and junky and nasty. And I don't have any gloves. But at my age, when you're on the roof, you just, you know, you don't go back down and get gloves. You, 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 don't, you don't do that. I, I heard an older person say one time, whenever he bent over to tie his shoes, he asked himself, is there anything else I can do while I'm down there? I thought that was great. I thought that was classic. So I, I'm on the roof, and I don't have any gloves, and so I'm, I'm, you know, it's like an L-shaped thing, and it takes, you know, an hour or so, and I've got, I do have trash bags with me, so I'm loading all that stuff in the trash bags. I got that soot all over me. Hey, I mean, caked, wrist, elbow, all, hair, shirt, you know, gym trunks all over me. So everything I touch now gets contaminated. I touch the rake, it's got gunk on it. I touch the ladder off the roof. I go in, you know, into the garage. I push the garage door opener, junk's on the garage door opener. I flip the light off, junk's on the light. I, I go to the door handle, I get junk on the door handle. I go in, I start taking off my shoes so I can stay married, not get the stuff all over the house, right? So I, I go in and there's a sink in our laundry room 
And I'm basically, you know, throwing off clothes. And I'm in that sink. And I'm lathering up, baby. I'm washing and lathering up. And the stuff's in the sink. And after about five minutes, I've got it off of me. The point is this. You walk around life with the shame base. Everybody you touch, you contaminate. No matter how hard you try, no matter how good your intentions are, you're going to overreact or underreact or talk too much or talk too less, or you're going to say something you shouldn't say, no matter what, until you come to Christ, until you let Jesus break every chain. And when he breaks every chain, then everything you touch is for your good and for his glory. And he's asking this question. Yeah, that's, that's jump a pew, slap your mama right there. That's exciting what Christ will do for you. And, and, and that's what we do. We say, okay, take my shame. Break every chain. Break every chain. And so the first question basically is, is you know, God's like, did, I, I said all this. And Satan's going to come to you and say, well, did, did God really say? And then he's going to ask you, like, where are you? And then I think the third question in this text is this. Who told you? And so God comes and he says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you, who came into your life and could deceive you? And my friends, what lies have you listened to? Who has told you that you're not smart enough, pretty enough, good enough, thin enough, fast enough, educated enough, you're not a good enough leader? Who's told you? What lies have been told to you that you have embraced? Who told you, I wish you'd never been born? Who told you you'll never be able to do this? Who told you you won't amount to a hill of beans? Who told you the lies? Because they're lies. And you have to identify who told you you couldn't, you wouldn't, you'd never There's no way you. Who told you you were a second-class Christian? Who told you because of all the things you've done in the past, you'll never amount to anything in Christ? Who told you that? Those were lies. When I told the family at age 18 I wasn't going to Purdue, I was going to go learn, you know, how to become a preacher, I had an uncle who took me by the arm, took me for a long walk, and told me that was a complete waste of my life that I should never do that. I had another family member, this is a true story, told me I was, if I became a preacher, I would become uneducated, poor, and on food stamps. Maybe I'm uneducated. The other two aren't true, okay? I mean, who told you the lies that you won't amount to anything? Well, they're lies, and they're lies from the enemy. And the enemy has come to separate you from your destiny. He's come to destroy you, and you've been walking around buried in shame. So what do we do? Well, we replace those lies with truth. Let's talk about the truth. The truth is, when you were being knit together in your mother's womb, God knew all about you. In the dark places of the womb, in the secret places, he knew you. 
You say, yeah, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of rape or I'm a child that's been adopted or I'm, I'm a child that wasn't wanted. Oh, no, 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 no. Your parents may not have had a good plan. Your biological mom and dad may not have had this figured out. But your heavenly father did. And the scriptures tell us that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. The scriptures tell us that if we come to Christ, we are forgiven and we are free. The past is gone. You can't purchase the past because the past is gone. The past has been purchased. It's the present and the future that we need to be concerned about. We've been adopted. We've been predestined. We've been favored. We've been blessed. We've been given an anointing of God's Holy Spirit to to live inside of us. You are so loved, so deeply loved. Your heavenly Father loves you so much he would give his only son for your future. So you can break every chain. Now, I want to come back to that last question for, for just a minute. When he said, when God said, who told you? Because what he's asking is, do you know who I am? And you've listened to a man? Or you've listened to an archangel? Or you've listened to a mom? Or you've listened to a dad? Or you've listened to a coach? Or you've listened to a youth pastor? And God is going, who who told you? I am God. And here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I think about you. Who, Who in the world is down here who has any power or any authority? I mean, the grass withers, the flowers fall, and the word of our, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And I'm telling you, this is who you are. And so the question this morning is, are you going to carry that shame with you for the rest of your life? Are you going to continue to have outbursts and do things that aren't healthy for you and everybody else in your family? Are you going to continue to touch people? and contaminate your world? Or are you going to let him break every chain? The book of Hebrews says so succinctly that we can come into the throne room of God. Now, that makes my head hurt. I lose brain cells, and I don't need to lose brain cells, but it's true because God said it. In the book of Hebrews, he says that we can go into his very throne room And in that throne room, we can receive mercy and we can find grace, which means power. We can receive mercy and we can find power. We can receive mercy and we can find power. Now, the things that you've done that have caused shame, I'm really sorry that you did that. I am. I'm very sorry that you did that. I I can't change that today. But Christ can. And so you take those things that you did that were very shameful, and today is a day that we're going to deal with it. And and the people that have harmed you and the people that have hurt you and the people that have caused shame in your life, I am so sorry that that's happened unto you. But don't let it define you. Let's move on. Let's grow. Let's become servants and soldiers. Let's become kings 
and queens. Let's become princesses and princes today. Let this day, July the 15th, 2018, be the defining moment for your life. They're going to pass out communion. Pass it out if you would. Hold the loaf and the cup. And during this time of communion, I'm going to ask you to think about your shame base. And during this time, yeah, y'all go ahead and come down, pass it out. During this time, if you would, hold the loaf, hold the cup. We'll take it together. And can I have one, please? Thank you. Thanks. And this is your time to break every chain in Christ. This is you calling out to your Savior to now not just save you from your sins. If you're a believer, you've already done that. This is now saving you from the shame that is hindering you from where are you in every situation and context. So let's take a couple minutes. Let's pray. And then, I mean, yeah, you pray, and I'll lead us in prayer together in just a minute. Father, I want to first pray for those in the room that aren't yet Christians. For those in the room that have never received you as Lord and Savior. Lord, right right now, for those in the room that are not yet Christians and want to become, I pray that they will confess their sins. I pray they will acknowledge you as the King of Kings. And I ask you to move them to receive you as their personal Savior. Lord, for all of us in this room who have been shackled by some shame, maybe a little, maybe a lot, break every chain. Remove the shame as far as the east is from the west. Bury it into the deepest sea. You promise that we can receive mercy and find your power and find your grace. So we we embrace that today.
And may we now walk with clarity, with power, with passion, with freedom. May we now walk in victory. And everybody that we touch, we bring health and healing. We bring restoration. We model your glory. We bury the shame. We're not going to be buried by it. We bury it into the pit once and for all. We seal it. We lock it down. We wrap chains around it, never to let it come out. And we go forward with power and passion and victory. So we thank you for your body and your blood. We thank you for the strength and the cleansing that you continue to give us each and every Lord's Day. And we come to your table. Even that, we've been invited. We've been invited to your table. So we come today to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Let's take the bread and the cup. Well, this is a big deal. And if you're not a Christian, the place to start is with Christ. The place to start is to accept Jesus as your Savior. Let him forgive you of all of your sins. The next place for you to, be, to start to begin is with Christian baptism. It's that symbol of baptism, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And we're going to have our next beach baptism on August the 5th. And so sign up today at the guest service desk. But it's an opportunity for you to, again, to bury your past symbolically. It's such a powerful symbol of accepting Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. We're going to ask our prayer partners to come down front right now. We're going to ask us to stand. And perhaps you'd like to talk to a prayer partner. Perhaps you'd like to have some time just to be prayed for. You understood most of what I said. Maybe not all of it made complete sense. And so you'd like to talk with somebody and have somebody pray for you and pray over you. Well, our prayer partners are down front, and they will be glad to pray for you today. To the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, we walk in victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.